Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. 1 Samuel 16. Open up to 1 Samuel 16. We've been focused on King Saul, and you remember previously and in a number of the previous chapters that Saul has been told that the kingdom has been taken from him. In fact, in the last chapter was the kingdom was torn from him, and Samuel says a neighbor, uh, someone better than him is uh, given the kingdom. Okay. And um, the turning of Saul away from the Lord becomes very pointed now. And, uh, and yet we're not going to get to that point in the passage. But um, uh, Saul's apostasy becomes very evident. And uh, enter into the scene a young man named David. And so uh, let's stand for the reading of God's word. For Samuel 16, now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. But Samuel said, how can I go when Saul hears of it? He will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. You shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, Do you come in peace? And he said, In peace, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Next, Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Thus, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are these all the children? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. And behold, he is tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. 
And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated. So a few, a few points from this passage that I think are, are helpful um, and challenging. The first being that um, here's another one of those scenes that we come to. One another, another one of those instances in Scripture where the, the servant of the Lord is doing something that seems seemingly uh, godly. And God says, stop. Right? God says, no, that's not the right thing to be doing right now. Samuel is, I mean, it was right for him to mourn Saul, right? I mean, it was right for him to mourn. Saul, Saul, had, um, you know, Saul had been marked out. Saul had been anointed king. Saul had, um, but, then, but then turned away from the Lord. To, he would not obey the Lord. And so it was right for, for Samuel to grieve. But um, there's a time to grieve and there's a time to stop grieving. There's a time to, uh, you know, for prayer and contemplation and meditation and, and grieving. There's also the day of action. There's a time to um, lift the head after grieving, a time to live and um, uh, and live what we've meditated and prayed on, right? You can't just live a contemplative life. Um, you must act. You must stop and act. And um, God has work for Samuel to do, right? Samuel is not, I mean, God is not stopping his work. God is not stopping his work of redeeming mankind. And so God has work for Samuel to do, and, and um, he's going to provide for Israel. He's going to provide for his people. He's not going to leave his people hanging. Um, the other examples of this, if you remember, are Joshua at Ai. Remember, Joshua is, is, um, has fallen into prayer. The people have been beaten down. And he's fallen into prayer, and, and God says, rise up. Why is it that you have fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. He's like, go take care of it. Go, go clean this up. It's not the time to be praying. Um, and then Jeremiah is told by the Lord, do not pray for this people. Right? The judgment is coming. You know, prayer at this point is, um, would be sub, subversive in a sense him to be um, praying. And so God tells Jeremiah, do not pray, um, but go and speak these words to the people. So don't pray, go, do. Um, that's often, we, we often face that. Um, uh, we, we, we tell people we're going to pray about things when we don't want to do them, right? Is it, that's like, don't you use that method? I'm going to have to pray about that. Um, <laughs> we've all done it. I know we've all done it. right? I'm going to have to pray about that. And really what you want to say is no, but you're not willing to give them the no. But really what God would have you do is to say yes and do it. And go along with them or, or help them or 
assist or or lead something, you know. Um, but uh, but we say now we're going to pray about this so we can really concoct an idea of how we can say how we can weasel out of it. And we do pray about it, but nonetheless, we're still we're thinking of our ways to get out of it. Um, perhaps the prophets fell into that same uh, trap. Perhaps Joshua, when he's facing um, punishing evil in the midst of Israel, it was a little more comfortable just to stay in prayer for a while before he had to do the nasty business of cleaning up. Well, well, God says, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? In other words, you can grieve a little bit, but if your grief is too long, you're actually saying something about what I have done in rejecting Saul, right? If you're going to keep grieving, you're saying that it wasn't right of me to reject Saul as king, right? I, the Lord, have rejected him from being king. And now, um, get to action. What's the action? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to the house uh, to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. Fill the horn with oil. You're going to anoint someone else. We got to go. And it's here. It's at the house of Jesse. And um, so get up. Move on, do the work that you were called to do. Uh, Now think about this also. Go to the house of Jesse. Remember Jonathan. Always remember Jonathan in the rest of this, in the rest of how this history plays out. Jonathan had proven himself a godly, worthy warrior and a leader. Right? He's proven himself. And yet, he's Saul's son. Saul, the, the kingdom has been taken away from Saul. Right? So it's not right for Jonathan to come in. And so an adopted son, in a sense, comes in. David, the adopted son, comes in um, to take that line. Now, we also remember, if we go back to the book of Ruth, right, that this, this line has been set up. This line has been the line of the Messiah. The, and, and so... Um, Obed, and Boaz, Obed, Jesse, David. Right. Okay, so Jesse's um, son is chosen. Um, Samuel was grieving, um, and it's time to move on, and yet he's worried. Why is, Saul, why is Samuel worried? doesn't want Saul to find out about it. You think Saul might be mad if someone else is anointed king while he's still reigning in Israel. Yeah, um, he doesn't want Saul to find out about it. Now, why, why do you think the people of Bethlehem are scared of Samuel? Yeah, they, if Samuel is about the business of anointing a king, they perhaps don't want Saul to come down on the whole, the whole place. But they've also seen Samuel just hack Agag into pieces. Uh, the works of righteousness that um, Samuel engaged in. And so perhaps there's a little bit of, of fear. What is it exactly that Samuel is coming here to do? Uh, he's a prophet. He's a, 
he's, and he has carried out the words of the Lord very literally. And so they're worried about that. Uh, so Samuel did what the Lord said, came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, do you come in peace? He said, in peace. And the Lord provides him with this, this out, right? He, he provides him with this, um, uh, this ability to throw them off. He says, well, take a sacrifice with you. And, and so he does. He takes the sacrifice with him. In peace, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. So he can tell them, I've come to sacrifice. I haven't come to anoint a king. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And... Um, you know, so consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He consecrated Jesse and his sons, invited them to sacrifice. And when they entered, he looked at Eliab, Eliab, I don't know, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Now think about that. What stands out to you in this, in the next verse? Exactly. It, it, Samuel is do, going down the same route as was gone down for Saul, right? Eliab is is this specimen of a man, right? He he looks he looks kingly, and 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 so Samuel immediately thinks, okay, um, this must be the one, right? Um, if we remember back in First Samuel ten. Uh, Samuel and Saul, uh, Saul is hiding among the baggage, and so they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? Do you see him? Right? Surely there is no one like him among all the people. Judging by his appearance, judging, I mean, and it points out his height there. And then in First, First Samuel 16, God intercedes at that point and says, not again. We're not going to judge by appearance. We're going to judge the heart. Okay, and so um, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature. That's what we did with Saul. Because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Right, this is the, do you have, um, have your first impressions ever been off with people? Well, okay, we'll get there, but I'm trying to apply this passage, okay? I mean, are your impressions ever off, But, but your impressions are always based upon Appearances, right? We make we make significant judgments about people simply based on appearance. Before we've heard a word from their mouth, before we've heard anything about what they love, what they what they know, who they serve, if they know the Lord, if they don't know the Lord, if they've suffered, if they're suffering currently, we just we don't know anything, and yet we make these impressions. Um, we, uh, 
I, I think um, I think we uh, this doesn't always play out, but um, generally we want to see uh, pretty people on our television screens, right? And we elect this generally works out. It doesn't always work out. We elect pretty people to and tall people, right? People who are have some stature to um, represent us in in office. Um, but the, but our our impressions are are terrible when they're based just on on the visual. That's the problem of our impressions. We tend to shun the ugly and clamor for the pretty. Shun the ugly, clamor for the pretty. If we shun the ugly, we would have shunned Jesus Christ. We would have shunned Paul. We would have shunned George Whitfield with his crossed eyes. Right? He was mocked for that relentlessly by pagans. And yet, one of the most powerful preachers that God has raised up in this land. Um, Hollywood and advertising hasn't helped us with our impressions, right? It hasn't trained us well. I mean, it's trained us well, but it hasn't trained us in the right direction. Um, Only pretty people seem to prosper. We don't care if a person has a heart of gold, as they say. We really prefer what our eyes tell us about somebody. And that's what Saul's doing. I mean, that's what Samuel's doing here again. Um, He's got nothing else to go on other than that God said it would be one of the sons of Jesse. That's all he has to go on. Um, But God looks on the heart. God looks on the heart. Now, knowing this of God, what should we personally concern ourselves with? And what does that mean? What does it mean? I mean, if, if, it's, if God looks on the heart, if God doesn't care about appearance, the outward man, and he, and he calls us to, I mean, he, he um, looks on the heart. What should we personally concern ourselves with? How... How much time do you spend grooming your heart? Right? How much time do you spend thinking about whether or not your heart is in the right place, your heart is ordered before God, um, that it is that you you have that your thoughts are meditating on the right things? Right? The inward man. We spend so much time on the outward man, don't we? Thinking about fashion, thinking about hairstyle, thinking about this or that. I mean, some of us do. Some of us don't. And that's good. And that's good. But, but com- comparatively, okay, we have to spend time on that, right? But comparatively, it seems that we would be spending time grooming our hearts before the Lord, that we would be um, concerned with, that we would be examining ourselves to find out where, where there's disorder, where there's sin, where um, there's leaven, and we would be um, working on that. What of our children? Think of that. What of our children? 
we are we concerned to shepherd their hearts or have we got you know have we just got them in the competitive rat race um winning accolades concerned about performance concerned about um uh winning um, but are, are we shepherding their hearts? Are we concerned about their attitudes? Are we concerned about their heart religion? Are we concerned about whether or not they worship God? Um, God is looking on their hearts. God is looking on our hearts. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. And that said to Asa, and his heart was going wayward. Right? Eyes of the Lord look to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose hearts, those whose heart is completely his. Second Chronicles 16.9. In heart, whenever scripture uses heart, you should think of desires. Um, Jesus is the, per- is the perfect example of the one who has the right heart. Um, David is called a man after God's own heart, but he has sin. Jesus is the man, the God-man after God's own heart, yet without sin. Right? So the example of a heart set on the Lord. Jesus said, my food, and by him saying, I mean, it's, it's, they're, they're talking about bread and And he says, my food, and I think of his desire, right? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. His heart is so set on God that all he wants, his food, what nourishes him is simply to do what the Father has asked him to do. Is that your food? Is that your desire? Is that the desire of your heart to please God? Saul's desires were for his own glory. God rejects him. David's desires, as Christ, was for the glory of God. Right? Though, great, though a great sinner, right? he still had his heart set on God. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Right? That's what we have to... That's the beginning of James. Divided hearts. Divided hearts and double minds is not having that heart that desires God as it should. Right? And so it says, cleanse your hands and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Um, the goal of a heart set on the Lord is a single-minded devotion to God. Okay? And so God is looking God is searching to and fro throughout the earth to find hearts like that. Now the Holy Spirit has to purify that heart, right? He's looking for those hearts, though. And he, he sees the heart of man, and he does, disregards the outward appearance. The Lord is looking at the heart. And so, single-minded devotion. Think about your heart. 
Think about your desires. Think about the things you long for. Think about what your mind is set on day in, day out. Right? Think about that. And repent and put it on Jesus Christ who is lovely and beautiful and your friend and your Savior. Um, seven sons are brought by Samuel. Uh, not Abinadab, not Shema, not one of the seven. And then I think it's hilarious. Samuel's like, are there any more? <laughs> you got any more sons? I mean, a nervous question. Um, are those all the children? One more. David, who's out serving his father. David is out um, in the fields. Now, it describes his appearance. Isn't that interesting? It describes his appearance, ruddy, beautiful eyes, and handsome. Okay? And so, it's not like being handsome forbids you from leading. (laughs) Okay? He may have been... (laughs) What? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, you're going to make me blush, wife. <laughs> or vomit. Um, <clears throat> oh, brother. Now, how do I get back on track? Um, yeah, I mean, he. This this isn't um, is it, it isn't disqualifying, but God is looking at the heart of this man. God is looking at the heart of David, inward to David. Um, And immediately when David's there, the Lord says, anoint him, for this is he. And and Samuel anoints him. And we read this, the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward, verse 13. Uh, That same rushing of the spirit that came on the judges, right? The same spirit that came upon Saul. Right, that sort of this this anointing uh, to to leadership, the spirit coming upon those men. Um, Samson had the spirit rush upon him. Gideon had the spirit rush upon him, and David here now, from that time forward, has the spirit rushing upon him to make him uh, fit to lead God's people, and so he is marked out as God's chosen king. Um. And I want to just conclude by thinking a little bit about David here and the line of Christ. The, you, you go to the first chapter of Matthew in this record of the genealogies, and there significantly is, is David. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Now just think of this line. Think of the patriarchs, think of the kings, think of um, those who are included here. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron and Hezron the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king. 
David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, and Ammon the father of Josiah, and Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abihud, and Abihud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad. Eliad was the father of Eliezer, Eliezer the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David, these pillars, Abraham to David, are 14 generations from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. And so there David sits as one of the pillars of the line of Christ, the line of the Messiah. Jesus Christ, the righteous and perfect King Eternal, is from this seed, from David's seed. What is Jesus called when he's here? The son of David, right? They knew the Messiah was coming through the line of David, the line of the tribe of Judah. Saul's line is truly removed. It's cast out. It does not appear, right? It is cast out. And so we see here David's importance, um, David as the... the um, preeminent example of the king and um, and the one who would occupy the throne in righteousness for the first time after Saul. And then Jesus occupies the eternal throne as a pattern. And so praise God for that. Praise God for um, God's mercy in this that, that he didn't with Saul just decide to flood the earth. You know, I'm tired of this people. And yet he he brought in David as an adopted son and kept that line alive through which Jesus Christ came and and through Jesus came the forgiveness of sins. So praise God. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word again. Thank you for reminding us of eternal truths. Lord, I pray for our children that these things would be precious to them, that they would love your word, and that it would not just be abstract, but they would truly love you through your word. Lord, I pray that we would uh, do the work of examining ourselves, that we would root out impurities in our heart. Father, by pounding ourselves with your word, Lord, by listening to the rebukes of friends and, and by, by honestly examining ourselves, 
Father, I pray that you would, you would um, complete the work that you've begun in us. To the glory of your Son, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.